Welcome to the Strength Rehab Podcast. Join your hosts, Raul Axmayer and Brandon Parker, as they discuss the latest information regarding the health and fitness industries. Topics include sports performance, physical rehab, and of course, general health. Remember, this is the podcast where science meets practice. What is up, everybody? This week on the podcast, we had Dr. Bill, a.k.a. Dr. Swole, on the podcast. He is a bodybuilder who talked about his peak week and also his philosophy to building muscle. He also put out a book you guys should check out. This podcast is sponsored by Built by Strength Products. They put out nothing but the best. Enjoy. So what's your story, man? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I grew up in Vancouver in Canada and did my schooling here and I did three years of a bachelor's in science and chemistry and then got into uh, med school at University of British Columbia. And now I'm, I'm currently doing my residency, so I'm trained to specialize in radiology. And I am a natural bodybuilder and now a YouTuber. I run the channel Ask Dr. Swole and uh, also on TikTok and recently wrote a book on hypertrophy nice. training. Really? Nice. Lots of accomplishments there. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so why radiology? Why do you want to chose that specialty? Radiology is awesome because it's such a central part of medicine at, at this point. Basically, there's all, almost all specialties will rely on imaging to come up with the final diagnosis. And it's just great being, you're pretty much a consultant to other consultants which I love um, other doctors just coming with you um, with really tough cases and you just sort of figure out the puzzle. Nice. So that's uh. so we are currently going through a lot of re- radiology classes right now and it's, it's almost daunting. And I always, I, for example, once I become a licensed physician, I will be in con- contact with every radiologist I can be in because it, it, there's small things that you can miss. So I was curious, like how do you go about making sure that you do not miss anything? Yeah, it's all about having a very structured approach. So say, yes, so say if I was reading an MRI of someone's knee looking for, you know, ACL tear, Mm -hmm. um, you'll obviously look at the ACL, but you'll look at all the different structures in the knee in a very routine sort of like structured fashion. So for example, like I would look through each of the, you know, I'd look through all the ligaments separately. So I'm going to look at ACL now, going to scroll through it, then PCL, then MCL, LCL, that sort of thing, just so that you really make sure you hit everything. Right. Right. Now has medicine always been your, your passion project? For a while. Yeah. I think at one point I wanted to be, you know, a physics researcher. I, I worked in a a lab in undergrad um, that did quantum physics and love that stuff but uh at some point you just i just felt that everything i was doing was very abstract so we were smashing together molecules in a vacuum and i was just like well who is this helping you know like i mean it it, it certainly does at some point but it's just i felt that medicine would be a more tangible way to make a difference what made you start your youtube channel that's a good question i think the initial, I guess there were two main pushes was one was just an efficiency point, which we've already, which we talked about off air, but basically um, I just would get all of these recurrent questions from people and they were always the same questions. Like mm-hmm. how many sets should I do in the gym? How much protein should I eat? And 
I was just like, wow, like, I mean, first of all, I, I'm not giving a good answer over DMs. And second of all, this is just the same question over and over. It would be so much easier if I just, you know, made a video about it. Mm. So that was one thing. And, the, and then the other thing was, I, I was just watching a lot of YouTube content and podcast content and just felt like I wanted to join the conversation. I felt that I had something to add. So that was the the sort of driver um when i when i started out bodybuilding maybe seven or eight years ago i remember looking all over the internet for good science-based information and it was hard because there were there are a lot of fitness gurus out there who didn't really know what they were talking about or didn't have the science to back it up and being a very science-minded and analytical person i wanted that evidence-based information so this channel is basically set to reach the viewer who was myself as a beginner. Now I'm curious, um, you know, cause there's a lot of people that exercise and then there's people that are bodybuilders. And I was just curious, like, where's that line drawn? Where, where do you, when are you considered a bodybuilder versus somebody that resistance trains three, four times a week? Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I think a lot of people will say that some people might define bodybuilders, people who actually compete in bodybuilding shows. I think it's more about the mindset and the um, the actual manipulation of your body body fat or body mm -hmm. co composition. So I think that uh, bodybuilders are the people who are, you know, really really serious about their body composition and will actually deliberately make uh, changes in terms of actual bulking and cutting sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's also a big thing when it comes to uh, bodybuilding. A lot of people don't touch upon the intent. Like, you know, when you're in the gym, some, most people are just doing progressive mm -hmm. overload. Let me add five pounds this week. But like as a bodybuilder, there's so many different things that you can manipulate to drive that stimulus other than just adding five pounds to the bar. And I, I think that's where the art behind bodybuilding, aside from obviously making your body a piece of art, yeah. um, that, that people don't really touch upon that much. So I'm curious as to like, what is your favorite ways that you would progress maybe a stimulus that's not just adding weight to the bar? Yeah, good question. I think um, I'm just going to put out a video actually on progressive overload. But yeah, there, there are a lot of different ways to overload. Um, I think the, the main, the, probably the main one would be just advancing volume. So mm -hmm. you can look at volume by looking at sets times times weight lifted so you can progress any of those variables um and then yeah there i mean in terms of just looking at the mechanisms of hypertrophy you've got volume and the tension stimulus but yeah. then you've also got all these other things like metabolic stress mm -hmm. um yeah so you can go you could go about overloading through metabolic sort of pathways like adding drop sets or doing you know high rep sets or blood flow restriction training um but yeah ultimately for for hypertrophy the the main thing comes down to tension mm -hmm. um so progressing that in various ways and uh yeah volume is the main driver and then exercise selection as well can or execution can also affect that a lot now you mentioned uh multiple ways to drive hyper uh, hyper building muscle thank you uh tongue twister now i'm curious when you're a newbie you might think like okay i have uh, metabolic stress that i need to do i need to increase tension i need to increase volume 
Um, what, what is your personal approach? Do you dedicate days to just building maybe metabolic stress or building tension? How do you go about it? Yeah, I guess I sort of have a, a conjugate approach to it where um, I think I think if you look in the science-based community right now, I think most people will say that, you know, tension and like your overall, the overall amount of productive volume that you're generating is the most important driver. Um, the And then the metabolic stress is probably like, is sort of like a debatable thing right now. Um I, I, I sort of think both could be important, um, but yeah, I do. So I will progress by um, adding, you know, a couple sets across my mesocycle as well as adding, um, adding load at reps. So I actually like sort of follow, I've, I follow different progression schemes depending on the muscle group and sort of what it responds to. But so for my main lifts, I might, I, I follow more, um, sort of like linear progression style uh, training. And then for a lot of my other body parts, I'll follow sort of a wave loading um, program. So sort of like I'll choose a rep range and then I'll start at the top of the rep range, move down to the bottom of the rep range, throw up my mesocycle while adding weight and decreasing reps. Then I'll switch, come back to it with more weight. Um, and then you'll also do a lot, I'll do a lot of double progression, which is sort of a workhorse in bodybuilding where you just, add a rep whenever you can at the same weight until you get to the top of a rep range and then you come back to the bottom with added weight. Mm -hmm. So there are, yeah, there are a lot of different ways of doing it, but I think in a nutshell, the idea is that I, my, my philosophy for progressive overload is you need to be advancing your six to 12 rep max across multiple sets over mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. So basically whatever gets you that over time, I think is really the bottom line. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of actually strong opinions out there in science right now, of like the exact progression method. But I think that it's very individual. And I think that what advances the individual lifters, uh, six to 12 multi-set, six to 12 rep max over time is mm -hmm. what's going to get you your hypertrophy. Right. And, and you mentioned uh, the volume aspect of things. And I always like to remind people that like not all volume is equated mm -hmm. equally. It's not, it's not equal. So for example, you have these people that are like, yeah, in between sets, I grabbed the 15-pound dumbbell and bicep curl. It's like, well, is it hard? It's like, no, not at all, you know? So, like, you know, they, they equate all these volumes to being the same, but it's not. And I'm just curious, how do you keep yourself in check that you are basically being efficient and only utilizing volume that's stressful enough meaningful to produce? Volume. Yeah, meaningful volume. But I, I don't know if that's a traditional word or I made that up, you know? So how do you make sure that you – are only utilizing meaningful volume in your exercises? Yeah, great question. I think there's multiple facets to that. So I, I sort of look at training as this, I call the staircase of training priorities. So um, at the bottom, you have consistency. And then going upwards, you've got progressive overload, volume, uh, frequency, then intensity and relative intensity, and lastly, exercise selection. So you can look break down a lot of these problems by looking at all those variables individually. So in terms of productive volume, what you're referring to, I think, is would be junk volume, as they call it. So basically, volume that you that's not productive. And so if you, if you don't satisfy any of your criteria for hypertrophy, you're not yeah. going to get results from it. So in terms of the volume, um, there's, there is some research where people are starting to say now that you should probably be capping off your muscle group at about eight to 10 sets per session. And so for example, if you wanted to like 
people, the old bros who talk about like a massive leg day, going in and yeah. doing like 20 sets. By the end of those 20 sets of, you know, squats and leg presses, you are just going to be so exhausted that mm-hmm. you won't be performing in a productive way. Uh, so that's the volume piece in terms of um, the relative intensity, intensity. So you want to be choosing rep ranges, sort of, they call it the hype. I mean, everyone says the hypertrophy range, like sort of six to 20 reps uh, or even six to 30. But the idea is when you go outside of that range, um, if you go too too many reps and too light, you may not be generating enough tension um, and going lower, like doing really, really heavy strength work is fine but it produces a lot of fatigue so that's the the main trade-off um and yeah and then of course there's sort of exercise selection as well so choosing movements that really give you a good mind muscle connection and target them intended muscle now the golden question that i was going to ask you prior to even having this conversation is you're in medical school and you're a bodybuilder has you being in medical school affected the way you train yeah, it yeah definitely has in terms of sort of the, I guess, um, just the amount of time I have. Yeah, so right now my training is I train four days a week. My workouts are pretty long, almost sort almost two hours sometimes. But I just found that training fewer days and having more rest days fits better into my schedule. Um, and then yeah, I actually train. I train with a very high relative intensity i i talk a lot about like not going to failure but i actually do quite a bit and um i utilize a lot of you know drop sets actually intensity techniques i think that a theoretically optimal way to train would be to um avoid failure for the most part and do more volume so doing more sets as long as you're sort of within one to two reps shy of failure but yeah i definitely go sort of to the higher intensity uh, side of things just for efficiency's sake because I don't have time to train six days a week and pack in more volume. Um, and then I think the other thing is just having to deal with fatigue. So just sort of, I, I'm finding that my system or my body just very, uh, generates a lot of fatigue very quickly. And I don't know how much of this is genetics versus just the lifestyle elite or like the amount of stress I handle, but um, I definitely find that I will run to aches and pains and, you know, after even, even like three weeks of accumulation of training, I will actually feel depressed and like, well, that, those are sort of my, my symptoms of overreaching and it happens very quickly. So talking about overreaching, I'm assuming you're going to follow that up with the deload. What does your deload look like? Yeah. Uh, I, I, my philosophy on deloads is to take very, a very, very like absolute minimal volume and intensity so i think that the goal of the deload is to maintain muscle and dissipate fatigue so Mm -hmm. i will set my volume as low as possible usually um i will go down from four four two-hour sessions i'll go down to like two one-hour sessions Mm -hmm. so it's much much reduced and uh, i'll i'll take a i'll usually drop my rpe by one to two reps as well yeah yeah so yeah, so the idea is just drop as much volume as possible. And I think it also plays a role in, you know, resensitizing yourself to the volume stimulus so that when you come back to high volume training, you're sort of refreshed to that response. How, how did you manage your time between bodybuilding, med school, or now residency? Like, did you have 
days where you had to wake up like super early to get your training in or studying in like how what were some techniques that you used uh to manage your time i know that priorities should be up there but how did you handle that yeah yeah so the priorities are a big piece for sure like there are a lot of sacrifices you have to make um but i think the the big piece for me is sort of multitasking and uh um and batch batch producing things so you know with multitasking i think the the main trick to it is um when you when you multitask obviously your efficiency in both of those tasks drops a lot so like the trick is finding sort of that what i call dead time or activities where like it's not going to be affected when you're multitasking so Mm -hmm. like doing chores or when i like my so my routine is like every time i every morning when i get up i will like turn on some youtube or like podcast content so i'm like learning something while i'm you know brushing my teeth getting dressed i will i will like on my way to work i will uh i'll eat breakfast i have a rule where whenever i'm transiting anywhere i'm eating a meal Uh, and you know listening to content as well so like my drive to work is when i'm eating and catching up on the science-based like fitness world and then on my way back from work i will learn about uh business marketing <laughs> and then yeah. Uh, yeah so so basically it's just all the time uh, it's just this you know ongoing soundtrack of my life which is just you know down like listening to content and learning i guess the next upgrade you need is a tesla right so you don't even have to drive anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah i wish you know teleporting teleporting would be <laughs> pretty, Now, pretty awesome Uh, I, I'm just curious, you know, as, as an MD and the things that you learned formally and obviously the things you've learned informally through podcasts and stuff like that, what does your diet look like to be a bodybuilder that's natural? Yeah, so my in terms of my approach to dieting, it's mainly, um, first of all, hitting your overall calories and then hitting your macros. With macros, hitting your protein and then after protein, just sort of carbs and fats mm-hmm. um I'm, so i i shoot for around a gram of protein per pound a day um i think that is a little bit more than it's required i think the minimum is probably around 0.7 but i find that start, starting off a bit higher is just easier so i can skip a meal if needed um and then uh and then the rest i'll just fill in with carbs and fats i'm pretty relaxed about sort of the strict macro counting when i'm in my off season so when i'm When I'm bulking, I will just eat to satiety. And mm-hmm. I, at this point, I'm very, very good at like eyeballing macros. So I can sort of, I'll track, I'll uh, monitor my diet and according to sort of my scale weight. Um, as long as my scale weight's trending in the right direction, uh, I'll sort of fix my macros on the fly. Um, and then, yeah, beyond that, I eat five meals a day, which I just find to be the most convenient um and you know try and divide up my protein uh equally and fit in sort of try and fit in some more carbs sort of peri-workout i'll emphasize carbs peri-workout and i'll emphasize more fats you know just before bed is my thing now you like i said off air that you're going to say something and it's going to pique my interest and i'm just going to segue the whole podcast and gear it towards that Um, you know, you are competing and I just, I find that window of time where you're trying to, you know, reduce your water retention and get as much fat off your body 
to be a very crazy process in the sense of, you know, somebody can be very lean, but they're not dropping the water weight and they don't look nearly as good as half the people on the stage. So I was wondering if you can walk me through maybe that, that you're one week out of your competition, what your diet and training looks like. Yeah. Peak week is peak week is a fun conversation. I mean, I think, I think the, the first, the main, the main thing is how conditioned you are. So it's the look mostly comes down to how much fat you have left in terms of body fat and like the, the appearance. Um, water retention is something, but it applies much less, much less to natural lifters. Mm-hmm. So for the most part, it uh, doesn't really apply in our sphere. But if you, uh, so the most important thing is getting lean enough. In the week before, I will usually, um, I will do a little bit of a carb deplete and carb load. So the idea is that you want your muscles to be as full of glycogen as possible on stage um, without quote spilling, which is yeah. what they call which which is what they call that blurred look that happens when you have too many carbs. So I will I'll deplete my carbs for a couple of days, um, usually about three days, and then starting on Thursday I will carb load. So I I will put in a. a fixed amount of carbs or predetermined amount that I know will fill up my body with glycogen. And then, uh, yeah, in terms of water and all that, I don't change water. I will stick to, I will keep my water up just normal to normal amounts. I think that's what most sort of natural bodybuilders do nowadays. And then I think the only thing in terms of, I guess the water weight. So the main things that it will affect like the water I guess in your in your body is the number of carbs and then sodium. Mm-hmm. So I'll usually keep sodium the same, but the, the one trick I do use is that on show day, two hours before stage, I will drop about three grams of sodium. Mm. Just straight salt, like just straight table salt dissolved <laughs> in water. It's, it's great. It's great. You should try it. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, like once you get that past the initial gag reflex, you know, like it actually, it actually... It's probably like the single thing that is like a trick that you can do to, it just gives you this like crazy, like vascularity. Yeah. yeah. And it helps, helps you get like a pump as well, because then I guess physiologically, you're basically just augmenting um, your blood volume or your blood pressure, like for sort of a transient amount of time. And uh, yeah, so like that's, that's, that actually helps a lot. And it's something you can, you know, apply to like a photo shoot or something. Definitely. Now I'm curious, like, you know, what happens? Cause you, you know, you work this very long time for this, you know, this one day on stage and let's just say your peak week doesn't go to plan and you quote unquote spill over. What's the emergency plan? What are you doing? You can't just not get on stage, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you always go in with an emergency plan. Um, the, the tricky thing. Yeah. So the, there are two, main sort of branch branches that you can go down either you can be spilled or you could be flat which is when you don't have enough carbs mm-hmm. spilled is when you have too many carbs you can when you're flat it's relatively easy to fix because you just slam a bunch of simple carbohydrates like just drink a bunch of gatorade or something that's what people will do and usually you can sort of influence your glycogen if if you have sort of half a day's notice so like if you wake up on show day at 6 a.m and you're like oh shoot, I don't have enough. Uh, you can just drop a bunch of carbs and 
you will probably catch up to, to a fairly large degree. But if you're spilled, that is a very tough thing. You know, it's, it's really hard to get, get those extra carbs out of your body once they're already in. So you can try something. Obviously, you would drop your, you would stop eating carbs that morning if you woke up spilled. You'd stop eating carbs. You'd probably do a few extra pump sessions. So just a little bit of light work to try and utilize a little bit of that carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, you can. But yeah, if you if you wake up spilled, that's every bodybuilder's nightmare. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not that much you can do. Now, I'm also curious with the art of being in the back room pumping up, right? So like, is there a point where like you can just do too much work and the, you become more flat? I, I'm just curious. Uh, not necessarily. I think what gets you a good pump will usually keep a pump but mm-hmm. I, I guess the, the main issue would probably be just fatiguing yourself gotcha. uh, unnecessarily because uh when you're on when you're on stage posing is immensely tiring <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, your muscles man. are all cramping up that's yeah so when how did you adapt to the the posing lifestyle? You know, because it does take a very long time to get the poses down, to look good in the yeah. poses, and then hold it for a very long time. So for somebody that's interested in bodybuilding, obviously they need to get a coach, and they would probably have their own philosophy. But what would be your opinion on how many weeks out should you start practicing to pose? Yeah, uh, I think a lot of people will say that there's no, there's no, you know, you can never pose too much. So some people will start posing as soon as they start prep. Um, for myself, just being so time starved, I will, I really started posing seriously, maybe a couple months out. Um, because yeah, it is quite time consuming. I mean, you will you know, spend quite a bit of time practicing the pose themselves and the transitions and your routines as well when you have music. So, and the other thing that I found is that it's hard to pose if you aren't really, really lean necessarily mm. because there's a lot of things you're looking for specifically like the striations and certain muscles. Like you don't get striations in your hamstrings or glutes until the very end. So right. um, if you're, if you're not seeing those, it's, you don't get as much feedback in terms of, yeah. Oh, am I, am I activating my hamstrings correctly at this point? Mm. So yeah, I think it, it's, it's, I mean, this, nothing wrong with you know hitting a front double buy when you're in off season <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah i i i'd say a few months out so we we talked about how you have a lot of irons in, uh, in the fire and you're also time starved because of how busy you are i'm just curious what's your what's your future plans like within the next five years what is dr swole doing Great question. That's something I ask myself all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting because I've always felt that I have such a I'm such an analytical person, like future future oriented. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm just doing all these things that I like had no idea I was gonna do. You know, like I just started my YouTube channel in almost exactly a year ago where I remember driving to work one day and I was just like, Oh, Dr. Swole, ask Dr. Swole. That, that's my YouTube channel. I like started my channel seven days later and uh and then yeah like decided to just write a book spur of the moment i was like i was in it was actually in new york and like walked into times square and i was just like man this is such a you know crazy place so much is going on i just feel like i need to do more mm-hmm. um and then i think ultimately i'm going to 
it's mainly going to be YouTube is going to be my platform. Okay. I was trying to help as many, many people as possible. Um, at some point I want to run some sort of, uh, sort of more like more education based, maybe like hosting seminars or some, some kind of thing like that going around, like traveling for that would be fun. But nice. yeah, it's very much up in the air. Just taking it one step at a time. That's all you can do, right? Yeah. Now, now you wrote this book, man. I want to hear a little bit more about it. What, what's it? What's all about? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's my Doctor Swole's guide to the upper lower split. So it's mm. upper lower split is my current favorite. So it's just a, it's a, just a book that has a few sample programs for different experience levels, as well as all the components of how to uh, how to optimize the program. So those that staircase of training priorities that just goes through each of them and how to uh, optimize each of those variables for like the individual lifter. Uh, because I think that's sort of the, the main thing in uh, bodybuilding is realizing that all those var- variables can, can be tweaked individually. It's like you can change frequency, like independently of volume and intensity. You can, you can change all those things. You can manipulate them a lot. And uh, the other, and the other thing is you can manipulate them per muscle group as well. So I like mm-hmm. to see each of your muscle groups as having a separate program, mm-hmm. and perhaps your perhaps your your side delts might might respond better to be trained four times a week, whereas your chest might only uh, respond or like survive twice a week. I like the nice. philosophy of having each muscle group have their own workout program because sometimes I think I see the downfall when you are programming as a whole because you kind of say like, well, I can't fit this exercise in because I'm doing this exercise. And mm-hmm. and then that's why after you know a couple of mesocycles, you look at your physique and it's like, well, no duh, your medial delts look flat because you're not training them enough. But the way that you set it up, it gives you the ability to be analytical and say, well, of course, I'm not getting it. Let me throw in an extra exercise or set to attack this problem head on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I think that's the beautiful thing about bodybuilding is you have so much freedom, you know, um, to sort of program in, in programming space. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, when it comes to bodybuilding, it's, it's the, 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 the living experiment, right? Like, you know, you have a hypothesis you're going to you're going to test it on yourself and then you know you only you only need to give it a couple mesocycles if you're doing everything right nutrition wise and you can see what's working and not working there's Mm -hmm. times where i'll put out a i'll do my own programming and then i'll look at it a couple weeks later i'm like all right who wrote this i'm not gonna do this (laughs) (laughs) so i mean this has been absolutely great man where can everyone find you yeah so Instagram and YouTube are my, my main platforms. The YouTube channel is Ask Dr. Swole. And my Instagram is just Dr. Swole, DR underscore Swole. Oh, I'll link to find. both your YouTube channel and your Instagram to the show notes just in case everybody wants to find you or reach out to you. What about Great. the book, man? Or where can we find this book? Yeah, it's, it's on my website, askdrswole.com. So people can check Amazing. that out there. I'll link that as well.